Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought about tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you'll also find it at the website. Now, also, if you are interested in the five questions and would like to answer them yourself, do check out the resources tab at the website because the five questions is available as a workbook and an ebook. And if you want to know why that's important, check out the end of the podcast or go and check out the resources tab at the website. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the program. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people, and what I have discovered is that our story is everything, because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? Andrea Schiff was playing Bach's Goldberg Variations. I just had an image of a Buddha sitting in space with these multicolored stones just sipping in around the body. God, people pay good money for that kind of that kind of effect, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> and then four months after that, I was at the dentist having a checkup mm-hmm. and the hygienist was using a water jet on mm-hmm. my uh, lower molars. Mm-hmm. And I had this in and out of body experience where I could be in my body, but at the same time I was outside watching what was happening. And there were pyramids, gold, green, ganja colored pyramids just tumbling out of my mouth, arcing over to the room. Um, so that was very interesting. Went back six months later, completely disappointed. It didn't happen again. So that let me know that the brain had re-knitted. We all like things to stay the same and be predictable, but that's not how it is. The world is always in a state of change. Our only option is to build resilience and embrace what comes. So how do you deal with change? My guest on the show today was lucky to witness change and be part of it while early in his career. Zach Moore is a deep thinker, and I would probably call him a futurist. He looks at change as an opportunity to find our gifts, and in his words, give them away. In his early years, Zach was good at maths and physics, and that led to university and on to Aberdeen for work in the oil and gas industry. He was encouraged to move south with a company going into project management and consultancy. It was the mid-80s and computers were appearing in the office. And one of the first machines was given to the youngster, Zach, to sort it out. Zach discovered the power of spreadsheets and over the next few years witnessed how automation changed the office beyond recognition. The typing pool was closed, structures changed and computers arrived on every desk. It set him on the path of learning and development in the technology sector. The zenith of his technological career was in the year 2000, when he managed a large development team of bright people from Oxford and Cambridge. And together they created the digital music system that paid artists for downloads. It was well-funded and predated Apple iPod system by two years. 
Needless to say, the Apple system won the game and Zach was out of a job. He went back into writing code and took on a part-time MBA course. What inspired him most about them was the module on creative problem solving. And he went on to develop a methodology to support companies in agile thinking. It was all going really well until 2015 when an ear infection spread into his brain and became meningitis. It put him into a coma. The infection makes the brain swell and if the patient survives it leaves them with both physical and mental changes. Sometimes it creates a whole new personality. Zach did survive but possibly because of his ability to embrace change it supported him through the difficult road to recovery. He had some wonderful experiences with synesthesia, as you will have heard in the intro. And while struggling with issues of sight, hearing and balance, he decided to take on the challenge of a marathon to raise money for meningitis charities. Our conversation is not about technology, but it is about change. The books and the reading that supported him, but, but it is wider than just his growth. Zach always was a deep thinker and the meningitis has given him a whole new take on the world. As he says, when you get hit by something, you can always get something good to come out of it. We speak about change and how society follows trends, the coming of AI and how gaming and gamification will change the world. Today, Zach builds and runs computer systems as well as supporting people and companies in the techniques of agile thinking. So let's join the conversation with Zach Moore. So look, this is life, passion and business, and we are all about the journey, the journey that we do on this life and how you put it together, how you how you run your life, what it, how it works for you. So where did it all begin for you? Um, well, I started off um, being good at maths and physics. So I did engineering mm -hmm. at Edinburgh University and started working oil and gas in Aberdeen. A couple of um, trips to oil rigs. Very interesting. Um, then I moved down south with the company that I was working for. They opened up an office. I spent four years doing project management consultancy before I struck out on my own mm -hmm. and did consultancy through the city in the 90s. Um, I put FT.com live, uh, worked on Reuters web. Um, so you, you, moved, you moved into the, into, the, into the technology sector, into web technology, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, when I set out, the first computer in my office was a slide rule. Mm. And then the first um, PC turned up, nobody knew what to do with it. So it was give it to the youngster. So I was there doing VisiCalc spreadsheets as they were uh, learning to type. Um, in those days, managers would write their memos by longhand, send them to a typing pool. Yes. Which was full of young ladies who would type them up, they would come back in the internal post and then be sent out after checking. Um, and what I found was that as computers came onto managers' desktops, those young ladies made a lot of money teaching managers to type. <laughs> and because they'd seen all the um, business members flying about, they could move around any department that they wanted to go into, from HR to marketing to operations. So um, having seen that... Um, in the, the mid eighties, the threat of automation for me is not as big as it is for many people who are doing jobs at the moment. Mm. So I think that that's the way that it's going to go. I think um, 
freeing people up to be creative in the workplace is more important than having people doing drudge work. Yeah. I think some of the automation that's coming, though, will, will actually be a lot more radical than we had in the past. I think some of the potential automation we're going to see will take out a lot of jobs that... I think so, but um, humans are more resilient than computers. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll always, yeah, there'll always be something to fill it. I think there'll always be something to fill the gap. But I think it's, it's, you know, I, I, I imagine when the uh, the last, you know, horse whips, horse whip makers had a had a real, uh, you know, rude awakening <laughs> when no one wanted any more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, it's all pros and cons. I see um, the way that. Um, society's moving uh, away from the production line mentality that we've had for the last 70 years mm. or towards something which is going to take ideas from movie making and perhaps even computer games mm-hmm. so that we're engaged more with the experience. Um, I think Jeff Bezos has called it, so he's getting out of Amazon or getting mm. out of running Amazon. Mm knowing that that's the peak for Amazon and something else will come in. Perhaps um, Disney are resurgent now. So Mm. they went through a trough and they've come back up. Mm. And I think once people see how they've been able to eclipse Netflix in having that market share, and then they'll start to use um, selling merchandising on the back of the movies. It opens them up to go into a whole new vista. Mm -hmm. Might bring Disneyland to the high street. Maybe, maybe. So where's the passion in this journey for you? Where's the, what's the journey been about for you? Really, it's about learning. Mm. So for each of the different phases that I've gone through, um, I've had to learn new skills. With technology, the skills were always upgrading. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes as fast as David Bowie would change his characters. You know, for me, a child of the 70s, I could see that happening. So it was like, yeah, he was one of the first one, the one, one of the first to realize that you need to keep progressing, wasn't he? Really, he was quite, he was so radical in that respect. I think Miles Davis did it before him. Did he? Oh, yeah. Miles, yeah. So mm. Miles was bringing out new types of music, and he always had an eye on the money, which is why he fused jazz and rock. Mm. So there is a, a saying: How does a jazz musician make a million pounds? How does a jazz musician make a million pounds? He starts off with two million in his bank account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Dad, so, dad jokes as well. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, seeing that, and then you see people like Madonna who did it for the generation that I come from, yeah. and Lady Gaga these days, and it's that ability to be able to reinvent yourself. Yeah, perhaps go in radical. I mean, it only takes 11 years to become an overnight sensation. Yes, I guess it does. And then having that ability to Mm. keep changing. So that's where I enjoy things. So you obviously developed a career, a business in in, uh, in technology? Yeah. um, The zenith of it was during Mm -hmm. dot-com. I showed out with one company and three of the directors set up an outfit, which was iTunes before iTunes. Mm-hmm. So we opened the door on the 3rd of January, 2000, floated on the 9th of March, 2000, raising 15 million pounds, and went live on the 7th of July. Wow. Um, in that time, I recruited a team of 32 mm-hmm. to, to build the system. Um, 
which was up and running, but we were so far ahead of the game that we couldn't get content from the record companies, the games companies, ebooks weren't in vogue then. No. And then two years later, Apple came out with the iPod and Steve Jobs was able to get the, the music industry. Was your system using MP3 or was it, was it, was it, was it, was it, was it a, like an isolated system? We started off with <clears throat> MP3 um, to show how it worked. We were up against Napster. Yes. So we were taking on graduates from Cambridge who were um, into crypto and stenography mm. so that we could give the artists the, um, the money that was due to them. Mm. So we would have people like Lars Ulrich from Metallica hanging around the office because mm. he was, you know, if I was a plumber, I wouldn't come and fix your plumbing no. for free. No. Yeah. So we were there on the intellectual property protection mm. acts. We were looking at DPR and mm. all the different ways that that could be implemented. Because it was Apple that kind of cemented, didn't they? Because they, they, they fused everybody into the Apple architect. You can't take the songs out of Apple. And as soon as that was done, then, then the music went, oh, hang on a minute, this could save our lives because they were losing money so fast, weren't they, at that point with MP3? Yeah. yeah, so that was there. So it was a case of taking on the outlaws. And we see that with so many industries. Something mm. burgeons in, it's not regulated, and then the regulation comes in on top of it. I suspect the same will happen with crypto. Uh, if crypto lasts that long, the thing about crypto is that there's nothing behind it. No, of course not. Of course not. But it, um, but it only it'll take a government and go, okay, let's do crypto. Let's let's create it as our own currency, and then and then suddenly you know that's that's it. How it works? Yeah, yeah. We're back to the Dutch tulip bulbs. Yeah. <clears throat> no you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to explain that one. What do you mean? <laughs> Uh, there was a fad in uh, Holland where people were buying and selling tulip bulbs, okay. which were more expensive than houses. All right, okay. Right, just the bulbs, not the uh, flowers. Okay, right. Just the bulbs. The, poten then, the potential flower. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, so it was just you know the 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 whole reasoning behind it was that somebody it, there was a fad that started became a fashion, and everybody thought if I'm not in it, I'll get left out but they didn't realize there was no intrinsic value behind it. Mm. So the old heads like Warren Buffett seem to be switched on in this going, you know, where is the value in this cryptocurrency? You know, will we hit 1929 and have a, a Where is the value in money? Because money is not linked to anything. Money is only, the only value in money is, is the fact that it's backed by a government sentiment and, 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 the, and the trust in a country. That's all it's there for, isn't it? I mean, Yep. So it's one of these um, joys of capitalism. It mm. gives us the ability to trade with something that instead of transferring good for good, you've got uh, a way to have a fair, fairer trading mm. system. Mm. And of course, there will always be speculation on mm. it. But mm. at the end of the day, you know that it's backed. Um, even if the system does take a pounding, as the banks did in uh, 2008, at least the government stepped in. With more magic money, which doesn't really exist. But there we go. This is definitely a conversation for another podcast. 
<laughs> so where, where are you in all of this? Because obviously, obviously you did well out of that project. And I guess, did you get out of it at that point when, when Apple came in? Yeah. I mean, we couldn't get the, uh, the material. So after mm. two and a half years, the money ran out. Mm. So I went back to coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of running teams, I went back and started coding again. Mm-hmm. And then realized as I was getting older that there were brighter, younger people yeah. coming up behind me, as yeah. you do. As you do. So um, I went off and did an MBA with the Open University. Mm, nice. So that I could understand the aspects of business that I hadn't seen from a tech, technical aspect. Um, <clears throat> And that was, that was good fun. I really enjoyed the creative problem-solving module, which ran for six months. Um, so I did that um, and then started doing um, agile coaching, you know, training people how to mm-hmm. think in an agile way and then realized that as soon as it hit silo-style organizations, it was just bureaucracy under a different name. Um and that was going very well until mm-hmm. 2015, mm-hmm. and um, I had meningitis. Okay. So how, do you, a, how do you get meningitis? Um, I had an ear infection, and I went to yoga. Mm-hmm. And I think that doing headstands or downward dogs mm-hmm. forced something through the pressure, managed to put the infection through the blood-brain barrier. Wow. Now, I could be mistaken, but that's the only thing that was different. Um, the side effects were that I lost hearing in my left ear. I've got a funny disc in my left eye. Um, the well, my, the in, benefit of my audience, what is meningitis and what happens? <clears throat> meningitis is an infection of the membranes around the brain. So it increases the pressure on the brain. So the brain starts to increase in size as the pressure builds on it. uh, And it forced my skull up to a different size and shape. Wow. Uh, So the onset was like flu. It just felt like flu coming on. Apart from from the light, Mm -hmm. the light was more intense. It was like having flick knives being jabbed in my eyes. Mm. Um, But I thought, yeah, it's just flu. Go to bed. my 16-year-old daughter found me the next day. Um, she was going out the door to school when the phone rang, uh, a call for me. So she came to find me, and I was comatose. Right. So she um, showed extreme grace under pressure, um, got me into the recovery position, dialed three nines, mm-hmm. got the ambulance up, um, and everything went from there. Next mm-hmm. thing I remember was waking up in a strange bed Mm -hmm. with my wife sitting in a chair opposite me, smiling, Mm -hmm. thinking, where am I? How long were you you out for? I was in a coma for a fortnight altogether. (gasps) Wow. That's like, it's like stepping out of the room and coming back in two weeks later. Wow. Yeah. Some people say, stop the world. I want to get off. Mm. Mm. Uh, And it was like that. And what they would do to bring me up, um, they'd decrease the amount of intravenous drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'd gain consciousness, wonder where I was, what was happening, have a five-minute conversation with someone, and then they put me, put me back down. So that happened three times over three days. 
Um, and from that, they could ascertain from the people that I was talking to, one, did I recognize them? Mm-hmm. Did I know who they were? Did yeah. I understand other things that were going on? And then they brought me up and kept me under observation for, must have been about 36 hours mm. before they transferred me to another hospital. So I came out of ICU, <clears throat> came to London, and back to a local hospital where I was for another month. Wow. So when I... um. They put me on solids after a couple of days back in the normal hospital. And the inevitable happened in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll get up and go to the, the bathroom. So I got up, stepped out of bed and fell over. Yeah, no muscles. <laughs> well, the um, one of the side effects was that the two big toes of my left foot had gone completely numb. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so there, there was nothing there. No balance. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, being a Scot, um, I managed to get hold of a chair. And it was like a Saturday morning moving around after a good Friday night. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I got myself to where I needed to be and did yeah. what I had to do. Yeah. And um, got back into bed. And you know, the nurse would come in and she'd put my Zimmer in the shower. Mm-hmm. So I'd be forced to walk to the shower. Mm-hmm. But it took me oh a good three weeks to be able to walk 400 yards. Wow unaided Mm -hmm. um so as part of the recovery afterwards i decided to do a marathon to raise money for meningitis research as you do well had you done a marathon before that i'd done half marathons you had you so you were you were a runner before so it's not as if it was a complete like oh we'll just go fancy getting out and do a bit of running yeah okay so um i started off in the gym, on the treadmill, yeah. and my balance, I was like a punch-drunk boxer. I had to hand up, hang on to the handrails on the running machine. But it, uh, it's funny, I know I was never a runner until I became a runner, and then suddenly you notice people's running style, and then you'd see people in the gym like a sack of spuds on legs, like lurching from one side to the other of the machine as they run, and the whole machine's you know, about to tip over because they're, they're throwing their weight from one side to the other. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, and it really is quite interesting how people just don't know how to run. So yeah, okay, mm. and it's, it's about a balance thing, isn't it? As you say. Yeah. So I was um, practicing skipping. Yep. And um, I'd been doing yoga beforehand, so I'd looked a couple of yoga belts over a pull-up bar in my home office, mm-hmm. in the door jam, mm-hmm. and using that to balance. It was it was hard going. Even mm-hmm. these days, I can't stand on one leg and close my eyes without falling over. Mm. But at least I can catch myself now. Mm. So that was the um, the physical aspect. You can see that coming up. Um, what was happening inside the head was <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> outside the normal realms of uh, what I'd been used to before. So I, in, in a good in a good way. Very enjoyable. I developed okay. sound vision synesthesia. <gasps> so the first time it happened, I was watching the proms. I developed a taste for classical music, uh-huh. which I hadn't had before. Mm-hmm. And um, Andrea Schiff was playing Bach's Goldberg variations. I just had an image of a Buddha sitting in space with these multicolored stones just sipping in and around the body. God, people pay good money for that kind of that kind of effect, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> and then four months after that, I was at the dentist having a checkup, mm-hmm. and the hygienist was using a water jet on mm-hmm. my uh, 
lower molars. Mm -hmm. And I had this in and out of body experience where I could be in my body, but at the same time, I was outside watching what was happening. And there were pyramids, gold, green, ganja colored pyramids, just tumbling out of my mouth, arcing over to the room. Um, so that was very interesting. Went back six months later, completely disappointed. It didn't happen again. So that let me know that the brain had re-knitted mm. uh, and come back in the way that it, it Yeah, I think what they say that is it's a mixture, isn't it? It's where, where parts of the brain are overlapping. And so two, 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 two centers start to get, to get mixed up. Indeed. But, but some musicians would actually say that that's, that's a value because I, I have a musician friend and she, she, she writes music in color. So she yeah. sees music as color. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's quite a few people did that. I, as mm -hmm. I started to look into it, I found that um, Vasily Kandinsky, mm -hmm. the abstract artist, he saw, he had that same thing where he would see color, but he would equate it to the timbre of an instrument. Mm. So, um, it was because she used to use it to compose, so she would have different, and this is the blue bit coming in, and, and each and, and it really did it, it did equate to certain feelings. It was quite fascinating hearing her talk about it, indeed. And everybody has it to a certain degree, mm. but no two people are the same. Mm. So, if you and I looked at a rainbow, we could name the colors mm. and we'd know which order they were in, but when uh, synesthetes explain these things. They all have their own system that they, they come into. Um, so different colors will mean different things to different people. Um, and there's some who say, if it's music, then don't use color at all. You should be able to hum it and play it. It's like, whatever works for you, get hmm. into it. <laughs> so did um, it change your personality? My wife says I'm slightly more autistic than I was before. Mm -hmm. But I think that's quite common in any marriage that's lasted 30 years. <laughs> very possibly. Yeah. I'm, I'm close to that one. I, yes, very close to that one. Yeah. Maybe to our so, um, yeah, I did a survey with um, King's Hospital who were researching the, um, the post-effects mm. of meningitis. Encephalitis was part of the diagnosis. Encephalitis is the brain-eating bit. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to see what was happening. So I was able to uh, look at myself and say what was happening. And other people were looking at me and saying, yeah, you are a bit different. Or some friends were saying, there's no change in you. <laughs> so different people have different ways of seeing each of us. But um, it sounds like you're yeah. quite lucky. You sounds like you got away with it in many respects. You, you got you got back to where you were. Yeah. <clears throat> and slightly more. Um, accepting of other people's opinions. Mm. I met someone years ago who had uh, her meningitis and she was a manager prior to, and after that, she never, she could never take the stress again. She could, she could never do those kind of roles again. Yeah. Completely changed her life totally. Yeah. So, yeah, when I look at the remembrance pages mm. on the meningitis research website, you know, mm. parents who've lost children, mm. um, adults who've perhaps lost limbs mm. it's you know i am extremely lucky it's a mm. rare rare thing there's only about three thousand people a year mm. in the uk get it over 18 mm. um but it's it's one of these things that made it made it a bit difficult going back to work 
you know, um, because of the, it took yeah, two and a half years for my hearing to sort itself out. So I tried hearing aids, but they didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being in an office, if there's more than one voice going at one time, it's just a complete noise to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to pubs, I can't do that. So I go to art galleries or museums these days <laughs> and still walk into people because I don't hear them on the left of me. Uh, if I sit in the garden, I notice people run away quickly and I'm left sitting when there's bees coming from the left. <laughs> I see you've got no left hearing, no left. Yeah. Well, you have got it, but you can't place it, I guess. You don't, you no, there's, there's nothing in the left <clears throat> here apart from tinnitus. Oh, that's not so nice. Oh, nasty. No. So to get around the tinnitus, what I've found is that if I focus on something, the tinnitus disappears. Mm. So I'm a bit more prone to concentrate on something rather than focusing on people around me. Mm -hmm. Um, So in a way, working from home has been good Mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of the the, the messaging systems. It was similar to what I was doing for the six years beforehand. So did you maintain your own business throughout all of this? Yes. Well done. So that's continued to keep going. Um, It's been tight, Mm -hmm. but... um, I find that when you get hit with something, you can always get something good to come out of it. So part of the recovery process was reading a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Mm. And it's based on the anonymous recovery programs. But instead of taking a year to work your 12 steps, it's a week. So in 12 weeks, you go through and you get a sense of, wellness and being in connectedness so the first six weeks when you've got a brain injury or you're trying to change any aspect of life the received wisdom is do nothing Mm. you can listen to other people's stories you can take it in and then you start working things and over the next couple of weeks you start to see the outputs from that and then you reinforce it over the final four weeks of the the process Mm -hmm. I find that very interesting. So I'd mash that up with rereading an MBA, which I mentioned earlier. Mm. So I went through all the material and looked at the creative problem-solving aspects and made a periodic table full of colours of 100 different processes that people can use. Um, So it's got... A divergent, convergent, eight-step process. Of course, mm-hmm. you don't have to do all eight steps. Uh, and they go through the colours of the rainbow plus an extra one because there's only seven colours in the rainbow. <laughs> um, and each of the elements has a, a colour which tells you which step of the process that you, you can perform something in. And that's been taken up by quite a few different organisations lately. So they're starting to use it, um, and we're looking at. So what? I'm it, sorry, I'm a bit confused. What the framework is? I mean, what what is? I mean, I, I get the uh, the sense of eight steps, but is is it a, an, an, is it an does it have a name? This framework? Well, it's called divergent convergent thinking. Okay. So you start off exploring a problem, defining it, mm. gathering data, generating solutions. Then you'll go through screening, prioritizing. Um, checklisting and Mm. planning what you're going to do 
-hmm. you can do that in the small or the large and then break it down into different steps. Mm. So the, the whole thing, for me, it was called creative problem solving. Um, divergent, convergent thinking seems to be the label at the moment. Um, the government use a lot of it in their uh, government design system. So it's a lozenge shape, diverge the problem, converge the solution, mm -hmm. test out. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. Mm. Um, so I found that was a good complement to the rational analysis that I was very good at. If, you, if you're writing a computer system, it, it should be rational in the way that you analyze it. Um, so I was able to take that forward and bring it up. And that's where my passion is at the moment. Mm. To say, I think we're changing from a production mentality in the workplace more to um, service and ultimately experience for the customer. But if you can't get the staff in a business to understand the experience that the customer is going to get, then how can they build that experience for the customer? Mm -hmm. So I think that going into a mixture of companies, we use larger companies to pay consultancy fees to what we do. Yep. And with smaller companies, we can get them going to come through more quickly. Um, the reasoning behind that is that startups have a lot of opportunity and very little governance. Yes. Silo-style organizations have very little opportunity because their product is there and they don't want to change it too much. Yes. And a lot of governance. So coming back through my Vasily Kandinsky, who was a teacher at the Bauhaus, I've come to a, a business philosophy, which is firm follows form, follows function, which is a play on the Bauhaus ethos of form follows function. So if you can get um, a state of business as usual in a firm, which is based on individual creativity being taken into collective innovation in a way that helps the company work, you tend to build a virtuous cycle where people see that the process that they're working in is actually helping them develop the skills that they'll need for the next job that they go on to, if that job is within the firm or if it's in another firm. And every business owner knows that the best advert for their company is the people that leave. That's an interesting, an interesting um, spin on yeah. it. So it's one that I guess find... it depends how they leave, doesn't it, though? Yeah, there is that. <laughs> it tends to work in um, the... Like a, I know a few businesses where people keep leaving for, 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 because it's not a good place to stay. <laughs> They're not a good advert. Well... Um, yes. So what it's saying is that you know, people will come up. So normally it works in consultancy organisations where it's two years up or out. Yeah. And the people that go out, if they're seen in other businesses where it's, oh, that's good, yeah. then people will come back and it gets you more business. So it may not be that you're attracting other people to replace that person. Yeah. But you're going to get um, your alumni, so to speak, from your business going into other areas. And once they start working in those businesses, they tend to call back to 
the people that they knew before to say, can you come in and help? Mm. Mm. So I think that's um, one way that I see things developing for myself over the mm. next few years. And the, the early access and the early interest uh, from large and small companies is very, very encouraging. Hmm. So how do you measure success? Does it change? Has it changed over your life? Yeah, I mean, I used to think that money was the main measure of success because mm. I was rational. Mm. Um, nowadays, I think that um, if you can help people without being seen to help them mm -hmm. is one way of measuring success on a personal level. So it's almost as if if life has meaning and purpose, then the purpose of life is to find your gift. Mm -hmm. And the meaning of life is to develop it and give it away. That's nice. Now, if you're doing that on a personal level, fine. If you're doing it on a commercial level, there will be a transaction cost. Mm -hmm. And it's being able to find the differentiation between those two that I'm working on at the moment. What do you see as your contribution to the world? That's a difficult one. I probably haven't made it yet. So I oh, still you being... probably you probably have because obviously the, the things you've done, supporting companies, supporting people, there is some contribution there probably. Yeah, the, there's things in there. I haven't found. Um, something that I can say, that's the thing that I'm most proud of. Mm. Yeah. Uh, from a personal level, you know, obviously having a family, mm -hmm. that's you know, the three, three children are ultimately it. Being married for a long time is mm -hmm. very rewarding. Um, and then it's a case of working with um, friends, and colleagues, and perhaps colleagues who become friends to develop uh, things that can then be used by other people mm. to help themselves. So it's a, really a case of giving people um, techniques and tools that they can use for their own benefit. Mm. Now, I don't know what benefit they will perceive from it, well, we never, we can never know the effect we have, do we? Really? I mean, you know, contribution is one of those those strange ones. I mean, there are obvious contributions, you know, giving money, those sort of bits and pieces. But you can have a conversation with someone and change someone's life without even realizing it. Mm. So, so that's it. Yeah. I mean, I used to be a guitar teacher, and I heard a story the other day of um, uh, before I had the meningitis, there was a friend of my wife's had come round. Uh, it was my fiftieth birthday. So that was eight years ago. And she said that her son was having trouble playing the guitar. So I said, wait a minute, give him this. I went and got a guitar that I'd built 10 years beforehand. So it's got a unique tone and gave him a book. And so get him to start playing this. And it's got its own voice, this guitar, so it'll be unique. And my wife met the lady again three weeks ago. And she said, you know, my son's now got a job in the music industry. Is working in a studio and he's still playing that guitar your husband gave him. Oh, how a lovely story. Yeah. So, so, that, so yeah. there's contribution for you, isn't there, really? Even, I mean, you know, as tiny as that act was at the time. Yep. 
It's like that's one thing I think about contribution. People say people think they, the contribution has to be big. It does. It's nice when it's big. I agree, but sometimes the little things make such a difference. Yeah. So the, it all comes down. I mean, my passion is learning, and if I meet other people who are passionate about learning, mm. I can give them tools which they may not have seen before, and techniques that they can then learn and mm. use for themselves. <clears throat> so rather than the type of teaching method that I use is called the Suzuki method. So you can teach people to play the tune, preferably by ear so they can hum it and play it. Mm-hmm. And if they want to, they can then learn the theory behind it. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessary. I mean, uh, somebody like Ed Sheeran was a straight F student at music college. Right. But he, he had the ability to hold an audience, mm. which... Plenty of people who are grade A students don't have. So it's, yeah. I, I've been talking about this a, a lot recently. This this thing about music and I think I, I I think as much as it's wonderful to be able to have music that we listen to, I think it's kind of it's kind of spoiled us to appreciate music. Uh, yeah, but that only happened since we got um, recording. Yes, recording. Yeah, Technology. absolutely. Because I mean, I, I was watching a, a, a program on Netflix the other day, and there was some singer in a pub. It was, you know, some, some, some singer in a pub, and it was awful. But the, the crowd were enthralled by it. And when my wife was talking about it, because, but you know, this is a little mining town. They never hear music. Someone singing, even they're singing crap, will actually sound amazing to them. Mm. That's the problem, yeah. isn't it? We, we, we take it so for granted these days, the fact that music is available to us. Indeed. And I think it's, been, it's going to be superseded by uh, movies. So movies is just scenery with music helping it out and the, the story. So that's like opera. Mm. Before there was recording technology, we didn't yeah. record operas. But if you went to it, it could be a different opera that you saw from one night to the next, yeah. depending yeah. on the town that you were in. I mean, it wasn't until 1939 in London that everybody agreed on what the, the key tone should be to tune an orchestra to oh right okay that's interesting yeah so you could be in berlin it would be yeah yeah it could be in bolton lancashire and it would be in a sharp it's like and it it puts a little change on if you've got the ear most of us don't have that Uh, and the other place where i think um we're going to be seeing a lot of input into society is from the computer games industry Mm, absolutely yeah i think that that's going to to be burgeoning um, in the ways that instead of being in receipt of entertainment, we'll be able to take part in it. Yes. Um, you know, when I watch my uh, teenage son playing on his PlayStation with a group of mates, the teamwork in there is very, very impressive. Yeah, my son plays various games with people, and, and he's in the game. He, he's he's studying in the gaming. He's studying gaming now at university. Oh. So, you know, so I mean, and I see stuff he does. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's great stuff. So um, the other thing that I do to give back is I'm a STEM ambassador, science, mm-hmm. technology, engineering, mm-hmm. uh, which. Um, the next presentation I'm going to give will be women in gaming mm. to um, school pupils to mm-hmm. show how that comes up. And we'll take it from the aspect of how um, Disney come about making stories for the movies. Mm-hmm. And we see that the movies are going to be turned into games. Mm-hmm. We know that's coming. So it's, 
we tend to approach stories from different ways. Some people are, give me the premise first and they'll fill the people in. Other people are, what are the people doing and what's the premise that's going to come from it? Mm. And being able to blend it all together. Um, the, the beauty of the Disney stuff is that they have stuff that when you watch it in family, the preteens laugh at one bit, the teens laugh at another bit, and they're a bit concerned because they can see the uh, rites of passage coming later in life. And the parents look at it with a sense of humor and nostalgia. Mm. And if you can get gaming and you know, ultimately sales working with that way, then you know, you'll have the par- parents being pestered by the teens and the kids to buy various things. Um, so there's, there's pros and cons that I can see coming from it, and it'll be driven by uh, capitalism, no doubt. Uh, yeah, I think the future in terms of this is is undecided. It, it, it could go a very good way or it could go a very dark way. Uh, and that depends yeah. because of the algorithms that we're all facing and experiencing. So, so we can become totally controlled by this stuff and not even realise it. Well, this is interesting where China's stepping in. Mm-hmm. So you've now got this ideology of democracy versus totalitarian, mm-hmm. totalitarianism. The Chinese way of doing it. Hmm. Um, and what they're doing is they're, they've seen the excesses of dot-com and social media, hmm. and they're clamping down internally. Yep. So the people that make it too big, they get their wings clipped mm-hmm. by the state. Yep. And I think some of that will start to filter through to some of the more conservative politicians should i say so at the moment whilst everybody's up going oh china's a threat i think that the chinese way of working whilst there may be a threat there i don't think it's a threat to life or to the way of life i don't think there's a world domination by force in their mindset they take a lot longer uh time view they're a lot they enjoy gambling but they're as a nation, less risk averse than, or the but, more but the but, but perspective is different, you know. So, so, so from from the West, we are all about the individual. Yeah, we are an individualist, and we look at the individual, and we we hold the individual in some some kind of like you know individual choice. Hmm. Um, you know, whereas China doesn't. China is about the collective. It's about us. It's about the people. It's about the country. It's about the company. It's about the community, and it's all about us. Yeah. Oh, no, about as the group. We un- yeah, as we understand it. I think if I went there and spent six months in country, then there's a possibility that I could go native, but would I lose my own roots? Mm. Yeah, it's like many expats who go abroad find it difficult to resettle when they come back. Mm. I, I was mm. listening to a, a Westerner who spent some time out there, and, and he, was, he was doing something, and I think, I think it was around the beginning of COVID or something. And he, and he was talking about traveling and, and one of his colleagues said, no, you can't travel. And he said, but, but I, and he said, you don't understand. If you take COVID somewhere, it doesn't, it's not about you. It's about how it reflects on us. You can't do this. You have to, you mustn't travel. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's like that complete different perspective. Indeed. So there's a, an amazing um, Dutch guy called Geert Hofstede. Mm who did a survey of every country in the world, or mm-hmm. most countries in the world, and sized them up on how they make decisions. Yeah. 
how the people like to be managed, what the long-term view is, what their um, views on risk are. Mm-hmm. And whilst it's a blanket statement and comes with a health warning on it, it's very interesting to, to compare and contrast rather than listen to just one politician or a bunch of politicians saying what the collective view is. Mm. So it's there. The other place to look is to go back in time. So when um, COVID started, I bought the big book by Ovid, Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. And to look at the stories in there, I'd say that they're more in keeping with the woke generation. Mm. The, uh, the ambiguity of sexuality mm-hmm. uh, is one where you're going, ah, this isn't really based on Christian ideals. It's going back before monoatheism was really enshrined in our way of thinking before the Ten Commandments were in the, a sense of good humanity towards each other. Mm-hmm. So there's different ways that we can um, learn lessons from different places. Mm, absolutely. And it's... How do you contribute to yourself? Uh, every day I take five to ten minutes in the morning and I do a thing called a morning page. Mm. Fancy name for a diary. Yes. And this is something that I learned from The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. That's one of our books, by the way. On, on, on the uh, website, we have recommended books, and that's one of them. <laughs> yep. So um, I find with that, it gives me time to reflect. Yeah. And if I reflect after I've been dreaming, I'm more capable of catching anything worthwhile that came out of the dreams. I mean, sometimes it's just gibberish. I think, no, forget that. Other times it might be something that, trundles on over a couple of weeks. You go, ah, there's a theme in there. What's it coming from? And then I I go off and I look into arts or something that's not based on what I'm doing day to day. Mm. So Mm. that gives me a sense of getting into myself. So I can look at um, the things that my family are doing around me. Is there something going on there? Is somebody on a bit of a downer? Do they need a lift? Um, am I on a downer? If I'm on a downer two days in a row, I'll go and speak to someone. So it, it, it goes back into a bit like um, Kurt Vonnegut's Shapes of Stories, where you've got a kind of soap opera story, which is just the same thing going along. The Cinderella story that we all know starts yeah. off real bad, the magical rise, the fall, and yeah. the rise again. Um, you know, and then you've got the man in the hole type story. So coming back out of the meningitis, there was a, the ability to see that sometimes progress felt very quick and other times it felt very slow. Yeah. And it was the ability to be able to say, okay, so there's going to be a way of planning into the future, which is longer than today, but not so long that I can't see the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to work with that and to know when things are going down. The other thing about feeling down, um, it's not all bad news. No, it's not. Because if you can find out what it is that's put you into that, you can then address it and spot it the next time it comes up and take um, a little bit of a different approach, Mm. which I think, you know, 
But I mean, life cannot just be a constant stream of upward feelings, can it? It, it, it has to. There has to be some colour in it. Otherwise, otherwise, you skip very, 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 very one-sided. There was a film, utopian film, where everyone just took drugs. They got Soma, I think they, they took. I think it was an Aldous Huxley film. Brave New World. Brave New World. It was Brave New World. Everybody just stayed, stayed on drugs to be perfectly happy all the time. No, you don't get that, my friend. And you've got to be able to take... Oh, I guess social media might be the answer. No, it, it doesn't. So you, you find that you get into social media for a bit uh, and you get the, the serotonin and the dopamine. Yeah. And then after a while, that effect brushes off. Yeah. So you've got to put it down and move on to something else. So what's the one question you'd like people to ask of themselves or of you? Hmm. I think it would be, how can I help myself to help others? Mm. So sometimes I see it in COVID. It's a bit like um, if the country was an aeroplane and we're sitting there and we go through the turbulence and the oxygen masks drop, put your own oxygen mask on, then you can help those around you. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the approach that I'm taking at the moment. In so, that what is, aspect. so what is it that you offer and what are you looking for from being on the podcast? Um, really, it's just raising awareness of the um, creative techniques that I'm bringing in. So if people are bored in their jobs mm. and they want ways to work, mm. then they can use these tools in 15-minute bursts during the day. So if you work with computers eight hours a day, you should take a 15 minute break every two hours. Yeah. The techniques that I've got are designed to work in 15 minute batches. I mean, I've built a business off it. Um, we did a lockdown startup, a friend and I. Well done. And we've got clients coming in uh, and we're talking to the government for them to take it on to help with transparency and procurement. So it was creative thinking which we've now applied to you know, something that can help the company, country mm. and companies that supply to, to government. Fantastic. And they do give out an awful lot of money for an awful lot of contracts. They do. Certainly mm. throughout, throughout COVID they have. Yeah. <laughs> and to their yeah. friends, unfortunately. <laughs> well, this is where the, the system that we're building um, and have built will help. Yes. Because yes. it opens up transparency and it is one way of very quickly assessing lots of different bids that come in. Yeah, so we can do in minutes that which currently takes man weeks. Good. That's impressive. So if people want to get in touch with you, how's the best way to do so? My website is timeandemotion.com. Nice. So is a play on time and motion, but yeah. we put the E in, and yeah. the E is for the good stuff that you can get out of it. Yeah. Um, you can find me as um, Zach Moore on LinkedIn, and occasionally I'll look at Twitter under the handle of Mr. Zach. Okay. So I was in the, the Twitter early, but I very rarely use it. Fair enough. Well, in case Perhaps people need to stick to LinkedIn or your websites. So if you want to get a hold of Zach, all those links will be here, of course. And also you can find them at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. 
So we get to that final question. You have touched on it already. And I'm just curious to explore it a little bit. What's the meaning of life for you and how do you explore it? Yeah, well, the meaning of life, I think, is um, finding the gift that you're meant Mm, to get in life and developing it and giving it away. And I like to be able to do that on a personal basis. I'd also take the same philosophy into business. Mm. And if we get the money from business, then we can help other people uh, come up. Yeah, brilliant. So that's really what I think it is. Good. Find out what you can do. Having been so close to death, I know that I'm not taking anything with me when I go. Yes, I, I imagine you must have learned quite a lot from that experience. There is no Las Vegas in heaven because there is no heaven. (laughs) Zach Moore, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me this morning. It's been a joy to talk to you. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Zach Moore. Zach is not big on social media, but if you'd like to connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn, Zach Moore, or at his website, timeandemotion.com. Now, both of those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com, including some of the references that we mentioned in the podcast. That was the books, The Artist's Way, which you can find actually in our book list, and Metamorphosis by Ovid, and the details for Gert Hochstadt. So all those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion, a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and the sense of what it all means, that is the path to a good life. Now look, You don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time that I can remember. And we must be sure to know who we are and what we want out of this journey because we will not get it unless we choose it. So please give it some thought because, you know, your future depends on it. And if you'd like some help with that process, do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com where you will find the five questions ebook and worksheets. Now this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery and it's at the amazing price of just $12.99. So do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. Now finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five-star review on the app of your choosing and, of course, sharing it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it for me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.